We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. He throws back shoulder, Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo here for another edition of the show. This is our 11th show of the year thus far. And yes, folks, I know you're getting tired of the same old introduction song. I've been getting comments on Twitter, getting an occasional email message. I know, I know. Well, guess what? We're working on a new intro. But it's kind of dependent on how far the team goes. Are they win the Super Bowl? We know is it just the NFC Championship game? So we're going to wait and see if this team wins the Super Bowl. And, of course, then that'll go into our intro. So... 
It's coming, guys. We're hearing you. The new intro's on the way. So today's show is a mixed bag. We got the Athletics' Vinny Bonsignore on the line today to talk a little bit about the Saints game, to talk a little bit about the expectations moving into the Super Bowl week, the team's mindset, so on and so forth. He had some pretty enlightening things to say. And then also, I went deep into our archives because I recorded an interview last summer and we just never got around to playing it. And it, I can't believe we never got around to putting it out during the season, but it's it's fitting now because our guest for the show is Rams legendary offensive lineman Dennis Hara. And for whatever reason, we just kept that interview stocked away. I felt it's a great time to put it out there. So that's our plan for today. So Vinny Bolsonaro from The Athletic, and then, of course, Dennis Hara. Before we move on, I do want to ask you, hey, if you are listening to we, 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 I, I'm so thankful. We've had a ton of people just come and, and listen to our show now for the first time in the last few days. If you are new to the Rams Talk family and you're just getting used to us, please head on over to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. If you like what we're doing, please leave a good review. Five-star preferably, please. And subscribe. Please subscribe. It helps us out in the charts. It helps us in our numbers. And we're trying to draw sponsors so we can stay on the air. So that really helps us out. Don't forget we're also a part of a network now. Our team includes Rampage Radio, who's returning this week, and Butting Heads with Steve and Johnny. So there you go. Also, before we really get knee-deep into our our guest today, we do want to talk about one of our sponsors. Most of us, especially now, this time of year, talking about the Super Bowl, we're practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood Teen Grit, Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out his son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elric, Raisley's Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic format at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. The book is also available through various other booksellers on the internet. I've read from cover to cover. Norm's read from cover to cover. Johnny's right from cover to cover, and we're still teaching Steve to read, but we're on we're on a good path with him. He'll get there eventually, okay? Check it out. Really, check it out. It is a solid book in history, and hopefully in the next couple months, we'll talk about some more Reigns books that are coming out, but this is our sponsor, and that's Jim Hogg's Hollywood team. All right, so without further ado, here's our interview with The Athletics. Wonderful, wonderful Vinny Bosignore. Awesome. There it goes. All right, folks, I'm here at the Athletics. Vinny Bonsignore. Did, did, did I get it right? Did I? You got it right, man. Good job. Gosh, it's only taken me 45 times to get it right. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's really a big deal for us to catch up with you on, you know, as we begin this Super Bowl Media Week journey, two weeks here. And there's still some kind of 
feeling across the league about the Saints game and so on and so forth. So I do want to get your thoughts. I know you've probably given your thoughts a million times, but this is our show, so you want to get them firsthand. What is the feeling about the Rams' controversial PI at the end of the game that wasn't called and, and so on and so forth? Well, I mean, uh, understandable, obviously, that, uh, that the Saints feel the way they do, that their fans feel the way they do, um, and are understandably upset and disappointed. Um, it was a gut-wrenching, you know, way for them to, to end their season. Uh, but I think there's a way to express all of that uh, without crossing the lines of sportsmanship. And I thought that um, Gail, Gail Benson, their, their owner, uh, crossed the line when she started bringing up integrity and fairness because what she's truly, what she's really implying is that something underhanded happened, something purposeful happened, something was strategically done to, you know, alter the outcome of the game when the reality is it was a mistake, um, you know, and, and it was a missed call. It was a blatant missed call, but it was a human mistake. Nobody was out to get the Saints in that game. And for her to bring up integrity, I thought, um, you know, overstepped the boundaries of disappointment, you know, and, and, and sportsmanship. Um, so, you know, from the Rams perspective, and I think from, you know, if you, if you, if, if you step outside, you know, Saints world and, and, and the way they're reacting to this and digesting this, um, you know, they, the Saints still got points out of that drive. They still had a lead with a minute and 41 remaining in the game in their house, and that was a crazy house. Uh, it was Bedlam at that point. Um, the Rams had to drive the length of the field uh, to tie that game up, and you're talking about one of the better defenses in the in the NFL, a defense that had been playing, you know, really good football uh, for most of the season and, and definitely uh, the last, you know, part of the season. So everything was was lined up for the Saints to take care of business. They didn't. Uh, the Rams drove down the field. They got a game-tying field goal. Then the Saints got the ball in overtime. Um, we saw what happened with the Patriots when that happened in their game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They took advantage by scoring a touchdown and winning the game and ending the story. Uh, the Saints, on the other hand, uh, you know, Dante Fowler makes a great spin move and was relentless in getting to Drew Brees, got there just enough time to kind of knock him, uh, knock his arm a little bit, uh, forced a, a, an interception. Uh, so they didn't take care of business there. The Rams got the ball and did take care of business. So there was a lot of football to be played after that call. Um, and, you know, so I think I think tainting the Rams' victory um, the way it seems some people are, uh, I, I just don't think it is right. There were a lot of calls in that game. There's a lot of calls in the course of a game that, um, you know, if you put it under a microscope, you would see that, oh, wow, there should have been a holding call there. Oh, you know, everyone's talking about the face mask penalties that went uncalled. Those, you know, for sure. You know, you can make the argument. If you're going to make the argument that you need to replay a play like that, why is that play so much important than let's just say, you know, I know Rams fans complain a lot about Aaron Donald getting held on, on, on plays. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's been instances where he's basically gotten taken to the ground and there's been no penalty called. What I'm sure some of those plays were on third downs that were converted, um, you know, as a result because they didn't call that, that, that holding penalty. And what happens if those, that third down moving the chains to create another first down leads to a game deciding touchdown, which, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure has probably been the case in his, in his history. So why would that penalty more be more important than a non, you know, holding call on Aaron Donald or anybody, pick anybody in the NFL for that matter. So, 
you know, when you start talking about integrity, when you start talking about fairness, when you start talking about changing the rules just because you're disappointed, you know, of an outcome, there's a lot of dominoes that fall with that. And I'm not a subscriber uh, of the belief that we have to make everything right. There's a human element in this game. And, and to single out one play and say that was m- way more important than any other penalty that didn't get called uh, in that game, I think, is, is wrong. So, um, you know, from the Rams' perspective, they get it. They understand they would be upset, too. Uh, but, again, there's, there's a way to handle this with sportsmanship, and there's a way that to handle it without sportsmanship. And I think the Saints and their fans – are uh, unfortunately, you know, doing it without sport, good sportsmanship. Now you, you have you've had a chance now to be around the team here and the and the couple of days afterwards. And so, what are the attitudes of you know some of the individuals that you come? Over? I'm not asking for names, but what are the attitudes you've seen about the aftermath of the game and, and how they're feeling concerning the things you're mentioning, like the sportsmanship of it, and so on and so forth. You know, professional athletes have a have a uh, uncanny ability to move on really quickly, whether it's mm-hmm. from triumph or, or agony uh, or even controversy. Yeah, people are going to ask them uh, about that play. I'm sure on media night Monday, it's going to be a big topic of, of conversation. But within the within the framework of the team, uh, it's something that they um, have moved on from, and they have to. You know, they they can't dwell on whether, you know, no matter how that game would have, uh, the outcome would have been, um, and especially had they, you know, whatever, they won the game. So they have to move on very quickly because there's a beast that's standing in front of them, and that's called the New England Patriots, and a big old trophy uh, and legacy and career-defining moment that's that's, uh, ahead of them. So they're not thinking about the penalty anymore. Um, they've put that, uh, you know, in, in, in the, uh, in the rear view mirror and are fully engaged in, in, in what's ahead. So what have you in these couple days afterwards, you're getting down to the facility, having a chance to observe what's going on. What, what are you seeing as you're preparing for this game? Well, uh, they returned to practice today. They've had off, um, Actually, today is just a walkthrough, but uh, they've been off for the last couple of days. You know, I've seen the players. They're doing a lot of their, you know, all that stuff that you're going to see on TV, um, all the the promos and all the, you know, player-type stuff, um, you know, in their nice shiny uniforms and everything like that. That all gets taken care of uh, these last couple of days. Um, you know, so so when they land in Atlanta, it's full bore ahead um, for the game plan and, and practicing and, and focusing. Yeah, there's still going to be some unusual type stuff with media night. And then, you know, each day, uh, you know, 10 or so players are going to be made available uh, to the media. Uh, but they're going to try to control that as much as they possibly can to make it as as regular as they possibly can, if that's even possible in a, in a Super Bowl week. But all the other stuff. Is happening this week. Now they'll return to the field today in a walkthrough situation. They'll practice tomorrow uh, and, and Saturday. Uh, but they're, you know, again, they're um, they're they're focused ahead of them, just as they have all year long. Whether it was, you know, after the Chiefs game or you know beating the Minnesota Vikings on a Thursday or or their losses to the Eagles and and the Bears, it's all about okay, what do we have to do now to win this next football game? And it just so happens to be that that next game is the Super Bowl. So. I guess, you know, outside of L.A., we're, we're seeing a lot of media, and there's a lot of fans in general, not giving the Rams a chance here. All of a sudden, they, they you know, this is a, this giant, the, the, the Eagles who, not the Eagles, I'm calling the Patriots, who have been there over and over and over again. 
um, just have too much experience for this team that barely has any Super Bowl experience at all. Brandon Cooks be one guy who's been there. Keith Tillie has been there. And with all those things in mind, how can they possibly win? How, from what you're seeing, out of this team, their attitudes, their preparation, from what you're hearing there, what are their chances of winning at this point for you as you're watching well, that? Yeah, uh, you know, um, this is a team that has felt like, you know, when, when when they play their game, they can go anywhere at any time and beat anyone um, under any conditions. Uh, they truly believe that. And, you know, they believe that after they lost to the New Orleans Saints in November. And I can remember talking to guys after that game. and like, hey, man, if we got to come back here to uh, to punch a ticket to the Super Bowl, we can and, and, and we will. And that, that wasn't just cheap talk. That was legitimately how they how they felt I was you know uh, not so much surprised but I was like wow you know uh, they they this loss didn't crush them they it actually gave them confidence and so I mean you know you're gonna get your talk from the outside it's been the case you know the whole way through I think a lot of people you know felt like they hadn't been playing so well in December so and the Cowboys were and so that meant that the Cowboys were going to come to the Coliseum you know, and beat the Rams. And certainly, um, while Drew Brees against the youngster, uh, Jared Goff, it's the, it's the Saints, it's in their, in their, in their building. Um, you know, what are the chances that the Rams are going to be able to, to go in there? What are the chances that Jared Goff's going to be able to outplay Drew Brees? Well, we saw what happened in that Cowboy game. We saw what happened in the Saints game in an unbelievable atmosphere. I can't express how loud it was in there and the bedlam that it was. And I think Jared described it as chaotic and it, it was every bit that word. So I don't, you know, I mean, maybe the, you know, outsiders might, might not be dialed in just yet on, on, on what this team is, is all about um, and, and how, you know, convicted they are that they could go anywhere to beat anyone. But I know inside that locker room, there's, there's a strong conviction that, that, you know, they can win this football game. Obviously it's going to come down to, what all football games has come down to execution, efficiency, turnovers, and all of that. But by no means is there any kind of a feeling that they can't, they aren't capable of, of pulling this off. There's a absolute belief that they uh, can go to Atlanta and beat the Patriots and that they will go to Atlanta and, pay, and, and beat the Patriots. Now it's just merely a matter of, of, of playing their kind of a game. So we'll see if that happens, but certainly – there's a, a, a confidence level that uh, that it can, cannot be questioned. Vinny, you were a major kind of voice during the whole process of this team moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles. You wrote numerous articles, had numerous pieces out there that kind of just, I guess, chronicled the whole process. You've been, you watched, you were a part of, you know, in terms of talking about with the Raiders possibly moving there, the Chargers, and now the Rams. And so you've seen this bill from the very bottom to where it is now. What would the Rams winning the Super Bowl do for the team getting entrenched in the L.A. market? Well, um, I mean, obviously it would go a long way. I think I think uh, just what they've done over these la- over these last two years, um, over these last two weeks, um, have, have certainly, um, you know, caught the attention of, of, of all of Los Angeles. And that just, you know, they had a lot of fans uh, that were still intact here and they welcomed them back, you know, with open arms and, and they're a strong group and, a, and, and, a new, a, you know, numerous in numbers, uh, strong in numbers. Um, you know, but, but, you know, when you leave Los, when they left Los Angeles and it wasn't just, you know, 1994, 
1995. You have to go back to 1979. Um, that was their last year in Los Angeles. They moved from the Coliseum to the Big A in Anaheim. I know it's not that far away, but it's far enough that it sort of um, – they ceased to be – LA's football team uh, at that point. And lo and behold, the Oakland Raiders moved to Los Angeles that, that same year or the next year or very, very soon after and um, and backfill that. And then they kind of became, you know, the LA's team for that for that period of time. So it wasn't just from 1994 to 2016. It was really 1979 to 2016 in a lot of ways. Um, obviously more dramatic when, when they were in St. Louis. But you know, it's a long-winded way of saying uh, that it was a slow kind of kind of slide for them. And it, along the way, especially when they were in St. Louis, they 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 gave up their uh, prominence alongside you know the iconic brands out here, which are the you know the Dodgers and the and the Lakers and to some extent USC football. And they knew that coming back, it was going to be a little while before they can truly say that they were, you know, uh, back alongside, you know, the Dodgers and the Lakers. And they're still not quite there yet. Um, they're not surprised by that. They're not shocked by that. It's going to take, you know, when 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 when, when uh, an entire generation of kids grow up without a local team to root for, as as many did, you know, from, from the mid-90s to 2016, what that does is those, those guys or, you know, kids, girls, guys, become fans of the Patriots or the Cowboys or the New York Giants or, you know, the Jacksonville, whatever, you know, on and on and on. And, you know, to, to, to ask somebody who has become a fan of another team and really invested themselves in another team uh, and become emotionally attached to another team, you know, when they're 21, 22, 23 years old, all of a sudden a new team comes back, the Rams come back and say, Hey, can you drop those allegiances and come join our bandwagon. That's hard to do. I mean, you're a fan of the Rams. How, you know, could you do that? Could you just on the whim, you know, drop your allegiance if somebody moved into your hometown? Um, you know, uh, that's hard. So it's going to take a little while, and it's going to take another generation of kids growing up with them here and being a presence here for it to truly kind of come together. But it's happening. You can see it happening. You can see the atmosphere at the Coliseum this year was just, you know, uh, electric. So many different nights. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs game, the Minnesota Viking game, obviously the Cowboys game, the Packers game. And, yeah, there's always going to be fans of, of other teams uh, in the building. That's just the way it is. You go to a Dodger game when the Cardinals are in town. There's going to be a bunch of Cardinal fans. You go to, to Anaheim when the Red Sox are in town. Yeah, you know, yeah. The Red Sox fans are going to be, you know, prominent. So, uh, but they're doing it the right way. They've built a good young team, an exciting team. Obviously, they're in the Super Bowl. People are taking notice, and, and, and so it's happening as we speak. Does it help, too, that there are so many of the Rams alumni who have become part of it? Like, we just had Michael Stewart on the show last night, and he, he's actually a guy who comes on and co-hosts with us quite a bit. We, we'll have Jim Ever on again. We, we have all these guys are all figures who – continue to bring back, you know, the, that connection of the old Rams to the now. Is that helping out as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one edge that the Rams, and it's a major edge that the Rams have, uh, you know, over the Chargers as the Chargers go through their process, you know, of, of, of creating their niche here. The Rams have a history, and, and, it's, and it's one of those things that's kind of cool, actually. You know, when you when, – 
the guys like Eric Dickerson and, and Nolan Cromwell, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, on and on and on, Jim Everett, uh, these these names that kids grew up with um, and, and adults that are adults now, obviously, that grew up rooting for, um, these Rams legends, um, for 21 years, they kind of fell by the wayside. I don't want to say they died. They didn't die in the, in the you know, in, in, in that sense. But there has been a sense. We didn't write about them. There was no reason for me to write about about those guys um, because there was no anchor here. There was no Rams here anymore. So they just they became ghosts in a lot of ways. Well, you know, now that the Rams have come back, it's really cool to see how those guys have been resurrected now. You know, and and so to have that connection still intact, I think, is a huge a huge advantage. And it's really nice to see a lot of those guys, you know, getting their due and getting their time in the sun now that their team is back in in LA. Now, when the Raiders moved down from Oakland, um, it was a year later, pretty much, when they won the Super Bowl and they destroyed the Redskins. And you, I guess, you could make a pretty safe argument that once the Raiders did that, they they took a massive chunk of the market away from the Rams. Is Can something similar to that happen to the Rams? I mean, they, you, you've already mentioned that they're already doing it in, in a lot of great ways, but that Super Bowl victory to me seems like it would be a sealant for a lot of the folks who are kind of on the fence and, and jumping on that, well, quote-unquote bandwagon. It, yeah, I think that it's going to – it would go a long way. Um, you know, I think that uh, – you know, you're right. Um, there were a lot of fans that became fans of the Raiders um, during those during those years. And, you know, we, we still feel that presence to this day. Um, so, you know, any kind of success, especially on a large scale like the Rams are, are you know, currently enjoying um, is going to go a long way toward, you know, being a magnet for 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 new fans. Uh, but but even, you know, just as importantly, I should say, is just building a compelling team. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, just star driven or anything like that. I think there's a misconception about Los Angeles and that just win. If you win, you're going to, you're going to, um, you know, create excitement and you're going to be relevant and people are going to notice and people are going to want to be a part of it. Um, and then do it over a long period of time. You know, the Rams don't have to win the Super Bowl every year. Obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, but you know, the more years that they could be in the mix, the more years they can, um, be a team that 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 fans you know take pride in, in rooting for, you know I think it's going to go a, you know a really long way toward um, toward establishing themselves or reestablishing themselves here in Los Angeles, and they're certainly on their way in that regard. So I'm wrapping this around now because earlier you mentioned the sportsmanship aspect of it, Mrs. Benson, with uh, a couple of uh, former uh, folks who covered the Rams out in St. Louis have mentioned the same thing too that the league has an interest in purposely having the Rams win as kind of a setup and because of what it can do to help build the fan base in L.A. What do you say to that criticism out there of the NFL that, you know, the silliness of attacking the NFL for purposely, quote-unquote, um, making it so the Rams are there to the Super Bowl? Well, with all due respect to any legitimate media members um, that have actually, you know, uh, um, took the time to think of that and then actually either write it or verbalize it, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no <laughs> way that anyone's going to control things to that extent. That's just stupidity on top of stupidity. This is a team that, um, you know, has gone about built, rebuilding themselves in a, in a, in a really spectacular way. And it took a lot of, 
you know, decisions that 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 had to had to uh, turn out to be right. Sean McVay, Jared Goff, um, you know, drafting Todd Gurley. Some of this stuff predates their return, you know, to to Los Angeles, and then they have to go out and and, and execute it. Um, so, and there's just too much going on in a football game for anyone to think that somebody's going to purposely try to slant things um, in, in their favor. So. Um, you know, I, like I said, all due respect to, to any media members out there. But if anyone's really seriously thinking about that, I think it's probably time to pick a new career. Well, I, I think of one specifically who was, I think, at one point legitimate, and I don't think it's any more legitimate. That's for sure. I think you can, I'm pretty sure you can figure out who that is. Um, <laughs> to to kind of seal up this interview today, um, outline for me the impact that less need has had. You just mentioned the moves that this front office had to make that we had to I mean that would it took some took some well let's just be blunt it took some balls it really did to make some of the moves they did um trading a first round pick away for Brandon Cooks risking what they did for for uh for Marcus Peters going out there and hiring a 30 year old head coach uh, to to making these moves and a, year, a couple of years ago Les Need was on the verge of being fired at least we believe that I'm not sure if he actually ever was and here now, two years in to the McVeigh-Sneed regime, this Rams team is – it has a – even though the older veterans that are there, it has a wonderful future. You're never going to have a problem getting a free agent to want to come play there. Yeah, what, no what is the impact now that Les Sneed has made on this organization? Well, you know, I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm happy that Les is getting you know some some time in the sun because he's definitely you know uh, played a huge role in in all of this, and it goes back to some of his drafts uh, since coming on board. And you know, you talk about the Aaron Donalds, you talk about the the Todd Gurleys, um, you talk about the trade uh, to go get Jared Goff, and and you know how vindicated they feel um, about that about that now. Although I don't think that there was ever any wavering. Of confidence um, in Jared, even after the, the the rough rookie season, they 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 truly believed they had something special in in, in Jared. Um, you know, and then and then more recently, you know, the a trade for a Dante Fowler going to get C.J. Anderson, you know, uh, off the unemployment line. You know, moves that you know weren't necessarily big, you know, banner headline moves, but you know, have, have paid off. You know, I was talking to him yesterday about, you know, uh, the, the Sioux move. And, you know, you can say what you want about Indomitian in during the regular season. And, you know, uh, I think some of his lack of production might have been, you know, how he was being used and him trying to fit in and, and, and all of those. And you could have made a case where he didn't deserve the contract during the course of the regular season. But he's come up so big in the playoffs that now – that fourteen million dollars is well worth it. It was well worth worth it, even if you're just talking about the two games that he's had at the most critical moments against the Cowboys and against the Saints, and um, you know, and, and the Cooks trade, you know, giving up a first round pick to immediately fill a void left when Sammy Watkins walked as a free agent. And oh, by the way, you're going to get a third round pick for letting Sammy Watkins and Jermaine Johnson, for that matter, uh, leave as a as a free agent. So. There's been a lot of shrewd moves, um, and I think that he's done it in a way, like, as he explains that, you know, we're not just, you know, uh, collecting players here. We're building a football team. And, and so every move, even even though some of these moves with Talib and Marcus Peters and, and Sue, the, it, big names were attached to it, but all of those moves were um, in the quest of building a good football team, not just an all-star collection of talent, but a good 
football team, and I don't think there's any question looking at how they've played these last couple of years and, and this year and these last couple of weeks. I don't think there's any question that this is a good football team, and he deserves a ton of credit for, um, you know, the, the work he put in in, in building this the, the, this roster. So, I mean, um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy this is now for you. This is bananas. I uh, would like to catch up with you again after the Super Bowl to kind of get the, the breakdown. And, and um, again, thank you so much. Vinny, where can folks follow you? As if they don't uh, already know. At Daily New York, excuse me. Wow. Oh, wow. Old. That was a blast. Yeah, at Vinny Bonstenure. Uh, right, that's my uh, that's my my, my Twitter, Twitter handle. I always forget that. But I'm at the Athletic. Uh, I write for the Athletic now. It's been a blast. I love it. Um, it's it's been uh, a great uh, uh, you know uh, career change. Uh, not necessarily a career change, but change uh, for me professionally. So uh, so I, you know I, I urge anyone if you're a fan of the Rams, if you're a fan of the Patriots, if you're a fan of you know the the Lakers or the Dallas Mavericks or whoever, um, you know we've got you covered at the Athletic. And it's one, you know, uh, 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 small payment per month. And there's always a lot of deals that are going out, uh, going around uh, for quality, ad-free, in-depth uh, coverage of, of everything. The NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college football, college basketball, professional soccer, uh, and, and on and on and on. So, um, you know, I, I, it's worth the investment. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback from, from fans and readers that are, that have, uh, you know, subscribed and, and they're not looking back. And, and, uh, and so go for it. It's, it's really worth the money. There you go. Yeah. I've seen, I actually took advantage of one of the deals recently. Nice. And like, so I'll be, get to be a athletic subscriber as well. All right, dude. Thank you so much. Again, we'll catch you with the Super Bowl. Thanks always for coming on. And we really appreciate it. You got it. Absolutely. And enjoy the game. All right. You too. Thank you. Thanks. All right, so that was Vinny Bonsignore, the athletic. Good interview, as always. Always full of good insight, folks. And a, a couple things I want to mention about uh, things we talked about here. I am, I, I, I've come into this season with a lot of respect for Saints fans. I know a few of them. Um, I don't want us to, to just kind of state and think now that all New Orleans Saints fans are, are, are well, poor sports here. That's not the case. That said, I am disappointed as well in the behavior of Mrs. Benson. I am disappointed that we have members of Congress in both parties. Really kind of weird. Both Democrats. They can't agree on anything. They can't agree on a budget. They can't agree on border security. But they can agree, a couple of them, at least from Louisiana, Republican Democrat, that uh, the Saints should be looked at, the NFL should be looked at, sorry, in Congress. This is just silly. So, there, you know, the game is a human game. We all got to move on here. The Rams are in the Super Bowl. They belong in the Super Bowl. They earned the right to be there. So there you go. All right. So as we move forward here, a couple pieces of Rams news. The big one today, Greg Zerline is on the injury report. His second straight day today with a foot injury. Apparently he was injured by halftime of the NFC Championship game, and he still kicked a 57-yard field goal to win the game. Off a bad snap, by the way. Off a bad snap. Um, Wow. Wow. So here's hoping everything's going to be okay with him. Apparently, it's looking like it will be. C.J. Anderson also landed on the report today with an illness. Uh, so best wishes and hit with him getting better. And if you haven't seen it, if you get a chance, check out the Rams' Twitter feed. They have a video up. And they gave Super Bowl tickets and all the accommodations to 
their facilities manager. The guy, Alfonso is his name. And it's a really touching scene with him and Brandon Cooks. And this guy gets to take his son to the Super Bowl, to the Rams play. And that is uh, really special. I am just thrilled at how this organization has changed over the years. Um, the Rams, when they were in St. Louis, they were always very involved in the community. And, you know, ever since they've moved back to L.A., though, they've been kind of, they've become a much, not that they weren't a classy organization before they were, but they've really become an organization that I can really be proud of, uh, both on the field and off the field. Things like this, they, they do make you proud. They are so involved in the community in L.A. They keep doing, and I know a lot of it is, is PR. You want to get people on board this team. You're trying to win over a metropolitan community that has not had a team, did not have a team for 21 years. And so you're trying to win these people over. And I get that, but man, they are still handling things with such class. And it makes me very proud to cover this team and to have been following them for as long as I have. All right. So before we get to Dennis Hera, let's take some time to talk about our other sponsor, Sal Martinez and the Gold Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and you like the old school barbershop experience, look no further. Sal Martinez and Gold Ram Barbershop at 13755 at Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his, his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis and he's kept the light on ever since. He's by appointment only. So give him a call at 714-894 at 7267 Rams and use the promo code Rams Talk. So he knows we sent you and get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267 and visit to his shop. Jeez, it is a Hall of Fame of the Rams. It is a shrine of this team. You'll find everything from helmets to jerseys. But the conversation there is the old school experience. It's like the movie Barbershop, except maybe not all the hijinks, the shenanigans. But it's well worth the guys, and go check it out. Okay, so a little thing about the Dennis Hara interview. Like, like the Vinny interview earlier, we had to do it via phone. It's not the world's best connection. I did the best I could to amplify it. It does break up at one point, so you're going to see it in two parts. And I'll come in. And uh, you'll see, you'll hear a rewind, just so you know, just so you're aware. It's a really good interview. He tells a lot of stories. He talks a lot about, you know, why the team didn't make that that um, that Super Bowl jump, but once in the '70s. He um, really down to earth guy, and I hope you enjoy our interview with Dennis Hara, Rams legend, folks. Rams legend. Here you go. Okay, we're here with Dennis Hara, the legendary Rams offensive lineman. Dennis, thank you for coming to the sh- uh, join the show. We're uh, hoping you have a. We're hoping to have you on for a, at least a. Okay, I'm sorry, Dennis. I messed it up. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, somebody, wait. Hey, I, I, you, you've never met anybody easier to interview than me. So go ahead. Let's go for it. You don't have to start it over. Hey, just let me know uh, where you located at. Where, where are you at? Oh, we're in. I'm in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, our staff is is all over the place. Youngstown, we're in Ohio, Youngstown, Youngstown, Ohio, and you are a LA Rams fan. Is that is that what's going on? That's right. 
That's right. I uh, I grew up as a military brat, and we were stationed in Long Beach when I started liking okay. football. And it's a really strange story, but what happened was is my mom went to go buy some phones, and the phone dealer was trying to sell her this stuff. And he had those old Baskin-Robbins helmets in there. He had a Rams helmet. He had a Raiders helmet. And we asked him if we could have them. I got the Rams helmet. My sister got the Raiders helmet. So she became a Raiders fan. I became a Rams fan. And then a week later, we moved back to Ohio. And you guys were playing the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. It was Eric Dickerson's last game. And that's that was it. That was it for me. That's what got me in there. Yeah, and I could tell I could tell stories about guys throwing dog bones at me when we we're at, at Cleveland. <laughs> hey, throwing dog bones there, and 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 I hey, I can go I can go from the East Coast to that to the West Coast of Long Beach. See, I had legends in Belmont Shores and Long Beach. I grew up in. I feel like I grew up in Long Beach. I, I, you know, I was there when I was 22 years old till I was 32, 30, 34. I married my wife out of Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just, Long Beach, California to me is, is, is my first, my second home. I mean, I just, I can't tell you all my great friends that, in Belmont Shores that we just hung out with and just, we parted because see the Rams were stationed in Long Beach in at Blair Field, which was like the biggest piece of crap uh, <laughs> of a stadium. That I mean, I, the Rams were underneath a little baseball uh, 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 locker room. It was it was horrific. I just I, I mean, it was it was unbelievable. When Carol Rosenblum owned the team at that time, it was amazing how poor the facility was. The weight room, you, hey, our weight room wouldn't even look like a junior high school weight room today. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was so poorly funded at the time. But again, that was a different era, and and I could tell those stories forever. It's just amazing. I was with Merlin. I got to play with Merlin Olson and Isaiah Robertson, Hacksaw Reynolds, and, and Tom and Tom Mack, Jack Youngblood, all those guys. It was just, and and we were at a facility, like I said, mm-hmm. that was a, basically a junior high school facility. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, that's. Yeah, um... I mean, I, I just the billion the billion dollar industry. Now, then I was there in the seventies, seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven. I think right there and that. But it's just like I mean, when I go to the when I go to the facilities now, it's like going into a castle compared to what we had. But again, not complaining. I'm just telling you the facts. Okay, so before I go, before I go for it, I do want to go ahead and fix that intro for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just flip them around so we get all that. I just want to say, Dennis, thank you for joining the show. We've been hoping to have you on for a long time. I finally figured out how to find you, so I'm just really glad to talk to you. We've had a couple requests for you to be on the show for a while now, 
So you, you have not been forgotten, at least by at least not by the Rams fans out there who remember you taking the field and playing for this team. So how have you been doing? No, everything's fine. I'm in. Uh, I live in Paso Robles, California. I'm about uh, an hour and a half north of uh, Santa Barbara, and uh, it's a central coast, right in from the Hearst Castle. Uh, right here, it's a it's a wine area here in uh, in the central coast, and I love it here. It's peaceful. I got 75 acres. It's laid back. I don't have to deal with the Southern California. I go down every now and then to different events, but it's just a very peaceful and very nice area. Well, getting into your career, though, you were drafted with the 11th overall pick in the 1975 draft. What was the draft process like for you, and how did you respond when you received word that the Rams had taken you? Well, you know what? Uh, There was... (laughs) There was a bunch of characters at that time, you know, uh, uh, Randy White, uh, Steve Barkowski, Robert Brazil. I mean, it was just, um, I was, uh, I, 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 you know, for me to be picked 11th overall in the first round was a tremendous honor coming from my background, being from Charleston, West Virginia, and, and uh, you know, just, you know, not having any idea that that uh, what my future would hold for me, and it was a, uh, it's been a tremendous, wonderful experience. Now that day you got the call that they picked you. What were you doing? <laughs> I was saying, you know, you know, today they they do the draft field day, and it's, mm-hmm. it's I was set in my room. I was sitting in my room at the University of Miami in 34H. There was one reporter there. There was a lady there that they said, that, you know, they think you're going to get drafted early. And I was sitting there with with, with the dollar ninety eight phone on the wall, and all of a sudden the phone rang, and it was I believe it was Norm Pollen who was the uh, uh, who was the scout at the time, called me and said, Dennis, we've drafted you in the first round, the 11th pick. And, and I just went, well, all right, well, thank you very much. And they said, we'll be in touch with you. And I, I did a dollar ninety eight interview, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. I mean, it was just like, that was it. And I went over and had dinner at the, at, at the training table, and that was it. You know, I just... Uh, <laughs> it was it was uh it was not the show that they have today. Now you joined that team, a team that was dominating the NFC West throughout the seventies. What was special about that team in the seventies? Well, you know what, you know, just the people that were on the team. Gee, you could go through I could go through the offensive line, the defensive line and, and you know, James Harris, first one of the first black black quarterback ever in the NFL and 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 the defense the defense was phenomenal Jack Youngblood, Merlin Olson, Larry Brooks, Freddie Dreyer, Hacksaw Reynolds, Isaiah Robinson, you know, uh, uh Dave Elmendorf defensive back. I mean, you go our defense was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. The offensive line, you had Tom Mack, you you Harley Cowan, Joe Shabelli, 
Dr. John Williams, uh, Rich Saul. I mean, you know, I just I can I can name all these names, which you probably wouldn't know who they are. But for me to be able to name them, and just for the clarity of, they would we were division champions almost every year when I first got there in the early seventies and seventy five. I mean, just it was just like we were going to win the division. It just that was just like it was known, and it was just a really. It was really a dominant time there where Chuck Knox was the head coach and, you know, Carol Rosenblum was the owner. And all I can say is, and for me to be a kid coming out of Charleston, West Virginia, to be a part of that was like, I just was, hey, how do you explain that? How do you share that with somebody of the excitement of what I was a part of. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why we asked, because to to many fans who look back now at that age, that's like the golden age of Rams football. Seven straight NFC West titles. You cap it off with a Super Bowl run. And we look back at that age and wonder, geez, how in, how in the world did that team not win a Super Bowl? They were just so good. And I guess that's my next question. What happened? Why... Why was this team not able to get over that hump and, and finally take a Super Bowl win? Because they 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 had Pat Hayden run a quarterback sneak uh, twice when we had a two hundred and forty pound fullback. <laughs> Pat Hayden didn't have enough weight in his butt to get across the street. Hey, I, you know what? I, I, how do we? How do we? How do we look back on that? And I laugh, because, you know, because we ran a quarterback sneak. Because, you know what? Hey, because then if we had to blame it on somebody, then blame it on me, because apparently I did not make a block with a quarterback sneak with Pat Hayden to get over in the end zone. But, again, you know, you look back on that and how did it happen, and then Carroll ended up basically moving Chuck Knox from there, and he went on to Seattle. But, uh you know, it was, uh, you know, I mean, what did we do wrong? Well, you know, it was, you know, Coach Coach Knox was three yards in a cloud of dust, and that's what he believed in. And, and you know, I guess, you know, Carroll wanted something different and ended up firing Chuck, and, and he went on to a different place. And, and But, again, if I would have done a better job, if, if a couple guys, we, if, you know, things can happen. Could have, could have turned around to where, you know, hell, Chuck would another six or seven years, you know, but it was just. All right, so that was the first part of the interview. The phone cut off during his answer, and we'll pick right back up, um, giving another part of the answer. We, we, we asked the question here in the second call. So here you go. Here's part two of our interview with Dennis Harrow. You know what? I, I can laugh at all that stuff. You know, I mean, I mean, play calls. Did somebody make the wrong play call? Well, of course, they made the wrong play calls. We didn't get in the end zone. I mean, yeah, did you make the wrong play call? Yeah, but that always happens. That's football, and that's part of it. And, and uh, again, it was, but just to be a part of those guys, in my opinion. They were a dynasty. They were just just the names. 
the Merlin Olsons, the Youngbloods, the, the Isaiah Robertsons, the Hostile Reynolds. That, and what, just the names, just to be a part of that, to me, was one of the greatest parts of my life. Well, I've been trying to get Isaiah Roberts on the show for a while now. I've messaged him a couple of times, and then I, I, I have to convince him somehow to come on. I've been really wanting to talk with him. Uh, and also, Merlin Olson, though, we we have not been able to really interview anybody yet who, outside of Roman Gabriel, and didn't come up in conversation, we have not been able to talk to anybody who actually played with Merlin Olson yet. So what was it like to play with him? <laughs> well, you know what, Merlin, Merlin, when I got there, Merlin was a hero. When I got there, I was the right offensive guard. Merlin was the left defensive tackle. So I had to go against him every day in practice. So I was not Merlin's favorite person. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I laugh. I laugh when you want to know, how was Merlin? Merlin was very cranky. Merlin. <laughs> Hey, because, you know, back then you had to practice, um, you know, 60, 70, 80%. You know, you're coming off the ball. And no, he didn't want to deal with that. Here I am, a rookie, number one draft choice, not coming off the football too hard. And, you know, he's already proven that in this net. So, so, so when you ask me how was Merlin towards Dennis Hare, I would say very cranky. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And God love him for that because, you know, yeah, two bad knees, bad shoulder, whatever. And here I am, the number one draft yours. And, and then my coach is yelling at me to come off the ball. But, you know, I'm going against a 14-year veteran at that time, you know. So, needless to say, it was <laughs> – Merlin and I were not uh, beer buddies. And how can I say that any better than that? Because, you know, he just looked at me, of course – Merlin, being a Mormon gentleman, was not a beer drinker anyway, but it's just the fact that it is. <laughs> I don't know how many nice things that Merlin ever said to me in my life, and I understand why. Because I had to go against him every day and practice, and those days we practiced way too hard. Well, and that's the, those are the stories that we love to hear. I mean, but let me finish off and tell you right now that Merlin Olson is one of my heroes. And just because, just because, I made him, just because I made him mad and practiced every day didn't mean that I didn't think that he was one of my heroes, and he is. What made him that hero for you? Uh, you know what? To me, just longevity, attitude, his his. 100% effort in a game, his stature of a, as a man, uh, you know, his brother, Phil Olson, is the same way. That stature of the man, uh, they're just, uh, listen to him speak, and just his male dominance in the right things that he says. I mean, you know, I mean, he... he he just didn't do anything wrong. I mean, all right. there's a percentage of things I did wrong. And it just seems like you're around somebody that his percentage of doing things wrong was at such a minimal deal that, that it's like it's such an honor to be around a man like that. 
because I don't know. I like to say we all make mistakes. We all do whatever. He just seemed like one of those kind of men that made very few mistakes that I know of. And it was just such a, you know, you listen to him talk and you listen to him lead and you listen to that. I mean, very few times that I, I mean, I, I know of very few that he just made very few mistakes as a human being. And that's what, what a honor that is to be around somebody like that. Yeah, and, and moving forward to he, even though when he retired in '76, I know he left a, left a big impact on that team, and what the example he set. I mean, years later, you got to play in the Super Bowl at the end of 1979 season. And what was it like to take the field as a Ram and play in that game? Yeah, well, oh boy, I was 20. You know, I was 27 years old. We were 27, 28 years old. We made the playoffs three times in a row, I think, something like that. I was at the point where I just go, you know, I'm in the Super Bowl. Okay, you know. Worst thing was we had to practice for two weeks. They beat us up for two weeks before the game. And I'm going, you know, I mean, what's the honor of doing this? And they beat, I mean, we had full scrimmage practice doing this. And I'm just going, well, okay. This is supposed to be what this, you know, this honor, you know, and we're scrimmaging. And I'm going, you know, why would you beat a man up before the contest? So you're talking to not, I'm one of the first advocates of why did we practice so hard and do something for that. But it was such an honor for the Super Bowl to be a part of it, but they beat us up before it. So, me being 25 years old, I, I said, well, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now. I'm 65 years old. And I look back at it and I go, well, I guess, I, you know, I, I thought I was going to make it again and again and again, and we never did. But the worst thing about the whole thing was of the coaches and that deal of them beating us up for two weeks before the Super Bowl. And you hate to deflate everybody like, oh, was it the greatest time? You know, this? No, everybody was else was going to parties. We were we were practicing. They were doing two days before the game. So, so basically, instead of a one-week work week, it was a two-week work week before the game. Wow. That's crazy to me that they would wear you guys out that much before the game. Well, and, and, and all of a sudden you go, Tom, what a disappointment. And for a fan, you go, what a disappointment it is to hear that. But you know what? That was, that was the era back then. I mean, they, they, you know, they absolutely, you know, we practice way too hard and scrimmage way. You know, we're, we're taking chances of getting everybody dinged up, beat up a bit. But that was just the way it was in that era. You know, and, you know, and I could tell you that the Super Bowl was the greatest moment of my life and this and that. But you know what? <laughs> hey, it was a pain in the butt because we were, like I said, we practiced hard for two weeks before it and beat us up. It's like, where's the reward in this? I mean, I, I just saw no reward in this. And, and I just, of course, I was like, and I was 26, 27 years mm-hmm. old, and I'm I'm looking around and going, 
I see no reward in in this at all, you know. So, but again, I, I have a NFC Championship ring. It's one that I I'm very proud that I played in the Super Bowl, but it was it was an experience that um, I'm glad that I did, but it was a work experience. Well, you worked hard, though, over the course of your career. Six-time Pro Bowler, a first-team All-Pro. What made you as successful as you were during your Rams career? You know what? I, 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 had, a, I had a fairly good work ethic as far as I was a weight room guy. I was, I, I st- I've always been in the weight room. I'm still in the weight room today. And, uh, you know, I just um, – and – when, when the technique changed, there, there was a technique change that happened in about 19, uh, oh boy, that would have been, uh, since I'm 80, 80, about 80, 81, 82, as far as you could, you could have full extension of the arms and learning how to do that. And Dan Radakovich and Hudson Hout were two of the, uh, offensive line coaches that really helped in that deal because I mean, they, they totally, because if you watch the offensive line now, I mean, it's totally, you got full arm extension. But when I first started in the league, you didn't have full arm extension in that. So it was a, it was a different transition there. And just, so what helped me was finally shutting, shutting my mouth and listening to the coach that I had. And learning the technique that they were trying to teach, you know, because I have I had a little bit of a rebellious attitude that I could do it my way, and and again the tech, but that was that was that was that was some of the problems I was dealing with was just me, and just the fact that I was a little bit, you know, I, I I'd already been Pro Bowl, All Pro, and this and that, and all of a sudden they're telling me you got to do it this way, and I just when you know, anyway, I fought it for a while, and then things, you know, you just, you just, <laughs> you know, you just, you just can't fight the system. So you got to learn how the system changes, and that's why at the NFL, if it changes, you got to learn the different rules, you got to learn what to do, and you got to adapt. And I was a little hard-headed, but again. I learned it, and then I went to the Pro Bowl my last three years uh, uh, that I played. So, and I was very, very proud of that. So, with all that in mind, everything, all the things you worked hard for, and all the things you learned to adjust and change, who ended up being your toughest matchup on the field? You know, I, I could go with, you know, it just at, at different points. You know, I just when I when I have a dual read and I come out. When I when I come out and I read a linebacker, I played offensive guard, so I had a dual read on the linebacker, and I come step back, and here comes Lawrence Taylor off the corner, and it's just like, you know, wait, 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 wait. Just I mean, he's wanting me to commit. He's such an athlete. I just trying to I call it hold my water. Just wait till I get the last just glancing blow to push him around the corner. When you got guys like that, when I got Howie Long. In front of me, playing against uh, the Oakland Raiders, when he when he hey, he does a slap and rip, and he tries to hey, he gets on your corner so quick. I mean, it's so quick, but you if you just learn how to deal with that situation, 
So I mean, you know, I've got I've got six or seven guys that are just that and just playing against Jack Lambert in the Super Bowl. He had no teeth. He's got spit flying out of his mouth. He's cussing everybody. What a great what a great moment. You've never played if you've never been cussed by Jack Lambert. <laughs> I mean, like I said, he had no teeth. I mean, you looked at him, he's, he's screaming, cussing, spit flying, no teeth, and you're out here going, man, we are playing today. I mean, that's that's my kind of football, you know. So anyway, so I could go, I could name, I could name ten guys, and there's there's not one, not, not one inch between any of them how great they were, you know. And, and, and like I said. You know, and playing against Mean Joe Green in the Super Bowl. Who in the hell ever says they played against Mean Joe Green in the Super Bowl? But I did. And how fun was that? You know, just that. So I, I, I can name so many players that, but there's the top ten that are that are really hard to uh, to to draw a difference between. All right, I have a serious question here. I, I, honestly, this is just this is killing me. What on earth got you to do the Ramit video? You know what? <laughs> we, we thought we were going to get wealthy on that. Because the Chicago Bears, the Chicago Bears had just done their, their video. And, you know, hey, you know, it's just typical being in L.A. And it's typical being a dumbass job. And thinking, it's, hey, and we heard that music, let's ram it. And, oh man, we're going, man, hey, it was absolutely, you know, I mean, it's probably, you know, I've done some ridiculous things in my life, but that's got to be in the top five. And the fact of it is, not only that, did we make a dollar, we did not make one dollar on that video. And absolutely, it was, it's, and they play it. They play it at the stadium. They play it everywhere. It's hey, everybody has it. And you know what? It was a uh, all I could say. It was a uh, it's, it was a moment when athletes think they can be actors and they can think they can be something that they, and they ought to stay in their box <laughs> and not get out of. And again, we got out of our box, and that's what we have to deal with. For the rest of history. Oh, and it's, that, that thing's going to live long. It will never be forgotten. Oh, you know what? And, and I go, hey, I go down to the stadium and they play it all the time. Hey, they play it all the time. Hey, it's all the time. Let's ram it. I mean, you know, it's going to play. I may not see. <laughs> and Nolan Cromwell had to be the worst dancer in the history of dancing. I mean, I know he has, he's eaten up with whiteness. He's eaten up with whiteness, but I'm telling you right now, hey, I mean, poor Nolan, poor Nolan. <laughs> the, history, the history of time will have to be the worst, the worst white dancer of all time. You know, I interviewed him earlier today, and I forgot oh, to ask him about the Remit video. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to admit that he was the worst white dancer of all time. <laughs> we, all, we all voted, we all voted, and Nolan Cromwell was the worst white dancer of all time. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, Dennis, 
you retired in, after the 1987 season. Uh, what? How did you know it was time to go? And what does it mean to you to have retired as a Ram? Well, you know what? The greatest thing was is I was able to retire on my own. I was able to retire. I played in the Pro Bowl my last game. I, I was able to make that decision myself that I wasn't fired. And to me, that was a 10. You know, not that they wouldn't fire me year or two after, whatever, but I played 13 years. I played my last game in the Pro Bowl. I played my last three years in the Pro Bowl. And I just absolutely, it was, to me, it was time to move on. And uh, I, I married a, a, a wonderful woman. I married Teresa. And, and she's, well, I got two two wonderful boys. I got one that's an orthopedic surgeon, another one that is, is a top salesman for a packaging company. I've been very fortunate with that. And I just, I've been blessed in my life. And you know what? It means everything to me. But you didn't answer one part of that question. What did it mean to retire as a Ram? You know what? It meant for me to start as a Ram and retire as a Ram. You know what? I am. I. I. I have no other affiliation. I have no. I. See, other guys have played for freaking ten teams, three teams, whatever. Mm-hmm. I am an LA Rams. Always will be an LA Rams. I have no affiliation with anybody else, and I want no affiliation with anybody else. And, and was, what was so great at that time and that era is that most of the time when you started with a team, you ended with a team. And I, I know they, I know they held us down and, and didn't pay us what what they should have at the time or this that. But to me, I spent 13 years. From 1975, as 11th player in the first round, to retiring in 1988, Kobo, I am an L.A. Ram and will always be an L.A. Ram fan. So then how did you feel about this team moving back to L.A.? I got to, I've got to light the torch with my two boys and my wife, and it was probably one of the greatest moments of my life, to light the torch at the Coliseum with my boys and my wife, to this day, might be one of the greatest moments of my life. Man, that's so special. You you have me speechless. How could it be any more special than that? For me to light the torch at the Coliseum after the Rams had left and gone, and I had had basically turned my back on the Los Angeles Rams. When they were in St. Louis, I I went there, and I heard them them introduce, you know, they were introducing Dan Deardorff, you know, that, that was on the Ring of Fame, and Jim Hart. Mm-hmm. And I'm in I'm in the damn Rams Stadium, and they're introducing people that's played for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I go, this is ridiculous. And the, for me to come back, for them to come back to L.A., and for me to be in the Coliseum where I play, and for my boys to see me light the torch and my wife 
was, was like I said, one of the highlights of my life. And what, what is your relationship now with the Rams? You know what? I, they have a good relationship with the Legends group. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I get to go down to a game or two games or whatever, and I get to be a part of it, and they bring us back for a golf tournament or this or that, but it's just, I, I think the whole NFL now with the Legends deal has realized that a lot of the people that support the NFL are older people and that the legends is a good thing to be a part of the NFL because it's older guys, you know, it just, it's who they grew up with, who their parents grew up with, who they showed their kids. And, and, and so they have brought the legends group closer now to the NFL than has ever been done before. And I think they've come to find out that this is a, this is a real positive deal. Well, I think what's really, what people don't really understand is Americans tend to have a bit of a, a passion for history, especially the sports we love. And when the team moved to St. Louis, it felt like that history prior to 1995 was forgotten. It really felt that way. That's why I started the site. Because I didn't want that history forgotten. There are a lot of people out there like me, a lot of our listeners, a lot of people who eventually listen to this interview are people who are older and remember you playing, remember you getting in the trenches, playing that Super Bowl. They, they remember all that stuff. And for so long, it just seemed that like the NFL was forgetting that. So I agree. Well, well and, and you know what? I, I described it. When I went to St. Louis, as I go, you know what? This is nothing more than a bad divorce. Because I really felt it was a bad divorce. And because I, I went there, tried to support the Rams, and I was in St. Louis, and I go, you know what? I, I'm, I've got to get over this, and I've got to move on. And, and it was to me, it was just like in a family. It was a bad divorce, and I had to accept it. But, but again, when all of a sudden, and I explain it in my hillbilly terms, in my hillbilly terms is, is you know what, it, it was almost like you had a lost dog, and they found my dog in St. Louis, and all of a sudden, I finally found my dog and got my dog back home and my dog is in LA that's my dog that's my team that's where they belong they should have never left I'm telling you right now I'm an LA fan and that's where they belong my dog is back home that's that's pretty freaking awesome (laughs) okay so what have you been doing since retirement hey well you know what shit I've been I've been I moved to West Virginia for five years. I moved to Florida Keys because I went to school university in Miami. I had a I had a partner in the Florida Keys. I had a bar, restaurant, motel in, in Isle Morada with Gary Dunn, who played 12 years for the Steelers. Then I moved to Temecula. I, I, I sold real estate in Temecula and then uh, for 13 years. And that's where I raised my boys. And I got one son that's an orthopedic surgeon and another one that's in sales. And then now I live in, I got a 75 acre 
ranch in Paso Robles, California, in the wine country, and that's where I'm at right now on the porch and talking to you. So I've been hey, between selling insurance, selling real estate, having bars, and just, <laughs> you know what? I've tried to do everything, and I've not been real good at any of it. So, you know, I just, hey, I'm enjoying the ranch here, and then I'm trying to figure out what my next venture is going to be. Well, something tells me your adventures aren't done yet. Hey, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna find something. You know, I'm gonna find something that I can laugh and make money at, and I haven't figured that out yet. Cause I got I want to do both of those. I just want to be able to laugh and make money. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking for that great picture. Well, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on and and, and talking about your life in the game and talking about. I, I gotta be honest. You really hit home when you talked about the torch. That that that's gonna be one of those moments on our shows that we'll never forget. I think one day we'll probably uh, we'll cut out pieces from our best podcast and make a special podcast of it. That's definitely gonna be in there because that really um, that, that hit home, and I'm sure it'll hit yeah. home for a lot of people. Um, so thank you yeah. so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, it hit it hit home for me like you cannot believe. But anyway. Hey, listen, anytime I can support you guys, whatever you're doing, whatever, hey, I'm all good. I'm an L.A. Rams fan, and I always will be. And if you guys ever need me, yell at me. I definitely will. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Well, this that puts a, a pretty good exclamation point on our show tonight. Again, for all the new listeners, thank you so much for taking time to to join us. It's really been a special time for us this year. We've seen our podcast grow today, which is a January 24th. We again set a record for listenership, and it's all thanks to you looking for more Rams content. Thank you for trusting us to provide you more content. If you are interested in advertising with us, uh, it's about that time we're starting doing contracts. Reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com. I have a media kit ready to get out to you. You can also leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We are really interested in partnering with you. We would like to be able to keep the lights on and, and pay for the show. It's been a very hard project for us over the, over the last few months, and we could really appreciate um, help there. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RamsTalk. You can find also a group called the Rams Talk Room where we can actually engage a little more in there for whatever reason over the course of many months. Uh, Facebook's, um, their algorithm has really kind of buried us at times on our Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can find the rest of the guys as well. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. And, of course, we're on iebeatradio.com. They air our shows Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So a special thanks to Vinny and, of course, Dennis. Thank you so much for coming to the show again. This is for the entire Rams Talk team. This is Derek C. Apollo. We have another show coming here real soon, real quick. Take it easy. And, well, the Super Bowl is almost here. Have a great night. Can you get 
this type of drama. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.